Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Hello, friends. Laura McKinney here, your co-host for the Real Leaders podcast. I am so happy you're here tuning in today. And as always, you are in for a treat. Got some amazing pearls of wisdom coming your way, so make sure to share and review after you take a listen. Let's do this. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Real Leaders Podcast. My name is Laura McKinney, and I am your host here with Matt Shorts, the founder and executive director of Constructive. Matt, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, absolutely, Laura. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So uh, to start, I know brand strategy and the design space. A lot of people are interested in this type of work right now, and there's a high demand for it, especially in the digital space and the digital era. Um, Tell us how your business kind of is set apart from all the other brand strategy digital firms out there, because I know it's unique in that way. Uh, Okay, sure. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say originally that we focus exclusively on social impact, and we were one of the earlier agencies to do both of those things, but that's really no longer uh, a differentiator. There are a lot of more agencies that fit that model. So I think for us, what I'll say is that we maybe take a different view of how to translate brand strategy into brand value, uh, ultimately, and look at that in a social impact and social value lens. So brand strategy and positioning and messaging as a foundation of our work. One of the things that I was interested in when I started my career, I started as a designer and moved into a brand strategy, uh, maybe now about 16 or 17 years ago. And Looking very closely at how brand strategy directly connects to organizational strategy and can actually help influence organizational decision making and using that kind of as a fulcrum or a center point for 
both organizational decision making and then the experience side of what it looks and sounds like, what the experience is like, and what people remember you by. I just think we take a different and deeper approach to how we develop brand strategy and positioning for social impact brands. I don't wouldn't get into necessarily all the details I can, but just to say that I think we take a pretty rigorous approach that goes beyond just simple positioning and brand personality. And I think a lot of times it stops there. And I think there's a lot more to dig into that has greater value for organizations. A hundred percent. I think that's a really refreshing perspective on just that industry as a whole. It's this, that diving a little bit deeper than that surface level that is is just, it's rampant, you know, in a lot of ways. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, now, Matt, tell me why this, why brand strategy, why digital design out of everything you could do in the entire world? Why did you choose to do this? So I, I was one of those kids growing up who was good at, you know, or focused on English and art, right? So I was a writer and I did a lot of fine artwork and I originally went to college for writing. That's why I went to Sarah Lawrence, which had a pretty exceptional writing uh, department or writing program. And I got more interested in the fine art side of things and dug into that and then moved into studying graphic design and did some matriculated work um, and then studied at SVA and RISD uh, and Parsons. And so as I got into that, it was really at first just good timing, and especially when you say digital. Now, I wasn't thinking about brand strategy at all, even though I had a writing background. Um, and that's because I graduated college in 1993. And so I kind of spilled out into the beginning of the commercial internet. And so my career, after doing some different smaller design roles, I moved into interactive. Uh, and that was probably in 96, 95. And at that point, it was really the Wild West. It was before there were even web standards. Um, and wow. so I worked on digital a lot, and I kind of learned a lot as the industry grew up and matured. And, you know, I eventually started my own company, right? I decided I wanted to do my own thing. I was kind of that way always as a kid and just sort of interested in doing something entrepreneurial. And so the reason that I chose to do the work and the type of work that I do is I also just grew up pretty politically and socially minded. I, you know, I was a punk rock kid growing up. I was pretty heavy into the scene and I just really believed in a lot of the ethos of, of political uh, discourse through that uh, uh, scene or movement. And so that just informed and still informs how I live my life. And so as I started doing my own work, it became obvious that I could choose increasingly to do work in the social impact space and that I could be connected to organizations doing that kind of work. Now, this was 23 years ago now, and there wasn't uh, nearly as much or as many firms doing the kind of work that we did. It was a much less mature space. But there I was kind of getting my thing going, somebody who was pretty politically and socially minded and very progressive and kind of a loud liberal in my own way and into the commercial internet really becoming a thing and blowing up and maturing alongside that. And so those two things just kind of dovetailed. And from there, after a good number of years, 
I got more into how brand strategy could be a driver of decision making. And what I'll say about why this and why that intersection, it kind of goes back to your first question. And that is that ultimately design is first of all, much wider than just graphic design. There are millions of kinds of design, including maybe not millions, but you can talk about organizational design. The great saying by Herbert Simon is effectively anyone designs who engages in the act of taking existing situations and turning them into preferred ones. Hmm, and so when that. you hear that, it has nothing to do with making a thing necessarily. And nonprofits actually are in the engaged in design of creating a better society. And so there's a kindred spirit for me in the idea of design and what nonprofits do and what we're after. And then if you think about design as a discipline, the entire world, except for the natural world, is designed, right? Anything in the built world that humans made is designed. We made it for a reason, for a specific purpose, to be used by someone or multiple people to do a specific thing, right? To create an outcome. Mm -hmm. That's what design mm -hmm. is about. Right. And so embracing that idea, which is how we think about design and constructive, and maybe that goes back a little bit more to how are we a bit different? Design mm -hmm. thinking and service design and system design is a lot of what we think about. And so brand strategy has this idea for to design anything, you need context, right? Design is about right. the context for which you design it. Brand yep. strategy and a real deep understanding of audiences and organizational strategy, that's the context you need to do great design work and now put that into a social contact lens to drive impact. That's the ethos that drives us. And that's why I do it. And all because mm -hmm. in my heart, I'm a kid who cares a lot or a person who cares a lot about the world in which we live. And this is my and our opportunity to do something about it. That's pretty punk rock, Matt, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you still got to go it. But I, I love that. I really do. And I think it's, it's like that unique approach, like I was saying earlier, to kind of go under the surface with your clients. Like, how do you really help your clients articulate and get to that deeper meaning of what they're trying to get out and that social impact? So... You know, it's a, a lot of brand strategy work is very significantly about organizational clarity. Ultimately, mm -hmm. your goal is to help create organizational clarity and help people understand themselves, help them understand their organization, their opportunities, um, who they are, what they do and why it matters. Um, and that why it matters part is the audience side in a lot of ways, because a brand yeah. isn't what you say you are, it's what they say you are, because it's a, your reputation, what they think of you, etc. And so we do a lot of work in research, discovery, collaborative workshops, you know, interviews, surveys, desk research, you name it. Mm -hmm. And that's all fairly standard. And then we focus on how do you articulate in essence in essence a strategy or a messaging platform for us that becomes really the crux of helping drive understanding and i actually have written out because i'm about to be giving a presentation and i wanted to lay this out mm -hmm. and maybe i'll just quickly put this out so that you can understand a bit of how we think about answering the big important questions that social impact brands need answered so that you can position yourself effectively as an organization and then design for different types of engagement. Right. And so the things we focus on helping them understand or our framework, it kind of goes hierarchically. Imagine this starting at the top and working its way down. 
And that is starting with our why, right? Why does the world need a brand or the organization? What's That's the right. reason for being? And part of that is giving voice to people who may not get voice or the planet, which needs help, um, because the why is for those things. And then the mission that's the call to action, right? Every nonprofit organization can relate to that. The vision then becomes really important. And that's about what does the world look like when we achieve our mission? Um, and making this aspirational value tangible and making it believable, uh, make the value and the benefits of the mission resonant for people. Um, then you get into the values, right? What are the non-negotiable things that guide everything we do? Then set goals. What are the specific things that are connected to vision near term and concrete that need to happen to accomplish the goal, to realize the mission? Then you get into a logic model or a theory of change, right? This is the empirical sense of whether it's us or somebody else. This is the way we believe and evidence can prove the best outcomes can happen. Then you define things like the brand community, who contributes to and benefits from our work as an organization. Why do we want and need each other? What's that mutual exchange of value, the benefit? How do we engage each other? We're mm -hmm. defining that. Then we get into what we call brand roles. What is an organization best at? Where are they most qualified to lead? Where is their expertise? That stuff should be defined and then give value propositions specifically to that role that an organization does. Why is it needed? Who's involved? What are the benefits from co that come from that? And once you have that, then you get into things like strengths and differentiators, right? Now you're talking about why are you exceptionally good at doing those things you talked about that should make us believe we can work with you to realize that vision of that mission, et cetera. And yeah. then you get into things like what's the brand persona? What are our attributes? What do we yeah. sound like? And then what is the experience like? Is that last pit, right? What do people feel when they engage with the brand and what do they remember you for? And so really our framework is about all of that and using all of that insight to then make decision-making about taking existing situations and moving them to preferred ones through many different forms of design. Yeah. I mean, those are gems. You just help so many of our listeners, whether you know it or not. <laughs> oh, I'm, I mean, yeah, that... I, it, it's crazy because I, I feel like a lot of, especially the people that listen to this podcast, you know, they're fiercely focused on really defining and getting better at whatever their their business, their art is. And I'm curious of how you keep up in the digital space. Uh, it's changing so fast all the time. How do you how do you stay on top of it? Do you constantly feel like you're treading water? Do you feel like you have a good handle on it? Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, there's the way I used to do it and maybe the way I do it now, or at least don't have to do it as much as might be a better way of saying it. And I'll explain that, mm -hmm. um, you know, designers in a lot of ways are the ultimate magpies. Designers are always looking at things and remixing ideas and pulling from disparate sources and all of that. And I was one of those designers who just is constant and still constantly seeking inspiration and looking at what's happening and going on and finding out what's interesting and, and picking the things that are relevant because there's so much to choose from what's relevant to what I'm doing or we're doing, et cetera. And so 
I just think keeping your eyes, ears, and mind open is, you know, first good practice for anyone. And one of our core values at Constructive is yeah. a, a ethos of continuous learning. And so that's your first best ally in staying up to date with those kinds of things. And as an organization, the reason I say, you know, I do it less is that I'm less of a hands-on practitioner now. Through my career, I've been a designer, I've done lots of UX and wireframing and all of that. Uh, I've done an awful lot of writing. Um, so all of those things, I would be more actively engaged in it. Now in my career, as the company has grown, my job is to support my team who is far more directly engaged and better and more current with those things than I am. Now, yeah. they will have their own ways of doing that, staying current and such. We do it as a team as well. So we have things like uh, uh, we call them design teardowns, where we'll take something and break apart something we really like and talk about different aspects of it that hmm. we're seeing. Um, we have uh, Slack channels where we're sharing things that are inspiring uh, for us. There's professional development work that we do as a company. Um, and then for us, I think one more important thing is all of that can't just be individual. It's great to be individually in pursuit of greatness uh, in as a, as, a, as a craftsperson in the work you do. Mm. When you work in digital, so much of it is interdependent. And when you think about content strategy, brand strategy, technology strategy, design strategy, in the digital space in particular, all those things connect to one another in different ways. And choices that you might make in one arena have an impact or influence on somebody else's. So it's important yeah. to be collectively sharing. So we do retrospectives of projects. We do lunch and learns with our own teams where one team might be explaining something they're looking at and finding interesting. So it's a lot of that also, just knowledge sharing um, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I love that outlook of kind of deconstructing something to put it back together, the unlearning to relearn mentality. I think it's it's a good way to like just gain perspective, zoom out um, when things get a little bit fuzzy sometimes. So I love that. I love that. And then going along same in the um, the same vein in the digital realm, um, what do you think like visually and maybe some people on your team might have told you this as well when they're working with some of your clients, visually, what is kind of aesthetically working for people? Is, is it video, audio? Is it text? Is it pictures? Like what, what are these vessels that you're finding are really successful for your clients? I think it, first of all, Laura, it depends on the client, right? Every yeah. organization has different goals, audiences, and ways of effectively communicating. So yeah. What's a good idea for a policy and advocacy organization? And we tend to work with a particular type of nonprofit. Uh, yep. We do we work a lot in what I call the knowledge mobilization and capacity building space. Mm -hmm. Organizations that are doing a lot of publishing and knowledge mobilization, or they're doing advocacy and that kind of work, or they're doing capacity building and strengthening for the sector. Those folks have very different needs than, say, a food bank. Um, or, uh, uh, you know, a grassroots uh, 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 social justice movement nonprofit. So yeah. for us, I think a lot of them work in different ways. Infographics are one I would say. Certainly video is great for breaking things down. 
for us, we're very interested in different types of long form content publishing and how to do things like what we would call the bite snack meal approach to content strategy to deliver different levels of content based on whether someone just wants a small hit or really is going to dive in. I love that. So if you can have things on social media where um, just statistics and quantifiable information is really valuable to people. Um, creating uh, infographics that explain and break down a complex system. Um, sometimes it's just powerful storytelling and those can be photojournalism. Those can be written stories that maybe have photos threaded in that really bring something to life. Um, the way I like to think about this is I've in the past talked about three pillars of, of brand uh, value or strength for nonprofits for social impact organizations, and that's credibility, proximity, and impact. Mm -hmm. And the way we think about that is that most people who are interested in a nonprofit, basically they're interested in that issue for some reason, right? Let's say it's a single mm -hmm. issue organization like one that works on climate change. If I'm interested in climate change, depending on what I'm trying to do, I first need to know the organization is credible, right? Why should I pay attention to them? I've heard about them. Okay. There are different ways to communicate credibly to your point or to your question, right? You know, so laying out organizational history, showcasing an interactive timeline might show a breadth of impact over time, et cetera. Um, showcasing expertise and the people behind it. These are things that can reinforce credibility. Then when you think about proximity, and this is why I mentioned uh, what I'm about to say when I was talking about photo uh, journalism, for example, mm -hmm. is that for many people affecting change on an issue, they may not be able to get close to where the action happens, if, it, if, as, if you will. The action mm -hmm. could be doing some work in another country where I can't even get to and that organization is on the ground there, or it could be having connections and, and ability to get near policy and we're in the beltway or in state legislatures. Well, visuals and communication that can bring people closer to that reinforces the credibility an organization has because it lets someone know, hey, they're really credible and they are where they need to be in yeah. order to affect the change that I'm hoping to accelerate. And so we think of different ways to visually represent that, to represent that through written communication, you name it. And all that leads towards that impact bit to say, okay, now what have you done and what can you do? Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. I mean, with so many different clients and I mean, you have a, a huge client base, how do you really conduct market research? Is it really based per industry, per cause? Um, how do you really effectively conduct that market research on who you're working with? So we tend to work in a handful of issue areas or spaces. Um, you know, we work in a, a good number of them, but there are a few that we have some really deep knowledge in. We've just worked with a lot of organizations over the past few decades. And so some of those big ones are climate change, the environment, sustainability. Another is K through 12 education equity and education development, um, early childhood care. And another is uh, in the health healthcare and different aspects of healthcare and health sciences. Mm -hmm. And so we, first of all, I do think show up for clients as a partner who already does know a decent amount. And that's because 
we've got years of research speaking to stakeholders, looking into uh, other organizations and what they're doing, doing uh, asset uh, issue framing research. Um, one of our clients is Frameworks, and they're kind of the leader in mm-hmm. doing framing research. And so we actually have access to a whole lot of their research. So we do show up with some some good startup knowledge, if you will, that I think makes us good thought partners. But the saying I often repeat to people is that we will never know less about you than we know right now. Mm-hmm. And so for us, we know we can show up and get quick into understanding things, but every organization is unique um, and they have specific needs, specific goals, aspirations, Um, And so it's our job to do, build on that research or knowledge base we already have through those things I mentioned, like doing stakeholder research, doing lots of desk research into the issues if we don't already know a lot about them, looking at peer set organizations, um, doing external interviews, you name it. It's, It's all just the process of information gathering and building on whatever knowledge base we have already about issues, audiences, etc. Okay, gotcha. And you know, you're in the nonprofit social impact educational spaces. And I know some of your clients, you know, have included like universities, University of Chicago, Yale University, um, and institutions that have been around for years and years and years and years, um, and have such great reputations. How do you kind of go in there and help them evolve and innovate their their institutions through your work? Um, are you working with students when you're there at, at a place like that? Or are you working with their administration? Like, what are those conversations like? So on the education side of things, I'll say there are organizations or agencies that specialize in higher ed. And when we say higher ed, I mean, they might do the website for the University of Chicago that drives admissions. Right. Um, We actually don't really do that kind of work. And Mm -hmm. if it comes across, I don't necessarily see ourselves as a good fit. Not that we couldn't do it, but there are agencies that specialize in it. When we're working with universities, um, so it is, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Yale or the University of Chicago or Columbia, these kinds of uh, universities have research institutes and significant programs that are in effect de facto nonprofits that mm-hmm. focus on a very specific issue area. And so for us, our connection to those brands is really more through the dedicated work of some significant program that is in I need see. of brand strategy or a website. Um, for example, one project we did is the Air Quality Life Index, which is this pretty wild uh, uh digital interactive tool that Mm -hmm. maps uh, uh, air particulate matter pollution around the world at a 10 square kilometer resolution using satellite data and maps that to life expectancy and the World Health Health Organization baseline and takes a look at where what the effect of air pollution is on lifespan and helps policymakers make decisions. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. So... That is a project of the Energy Policy Institute at the University of Chicago. So that's who we work with in that case, right? And so the thing that's interesting there is that for some of those institutes, our work can have a very standalone brand. So the the Air Quality Life Index has a very standalone brand. We've done some projects in climate change for Yale, similarly. 
sometimes they do need to conform quite strongly to a really well-known brand standard like the university itself. And so each time our job is to understand how much latitude do we have to make the brand distinctive? Where does it live in the hierarchy of the brand architecture? We create brand architectures for clients quite frequently. So we're sensitive to the idea that this needs to live as a part of a bigger brand system. And so we want to be mindful of that. Yeah, absolutely. And at Constructive, you have eight focus areas and six services, I believe, which is incredibly impressive. Uh, how do you manage it all? And could you talk a little bit about your team and how they play into making um, making it a success? Sure. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I've been at this a long time, Laura, and I've seen, you know, our team grow and people come and go and all of that. And I'll say as a, as an leader, as an owner, I'm, I feel so incredibly lucky and just honestly, almost like sometimes pinch myself about how truly great our people are and how much they work together to build who we are and are committed to the idea of who we are. And so building the right kind of culture and environment and all of that um, so people can feel engaged and do their best work is is huge for us. We, we have a higher purpose designed as part of our brand strategy and it's, it's engagement, um, the idea of being engaged. And so the way our teams work really, I mean, it's probably like a lot of, of agencies, you know, we've got a strategy team, we've got a design team, we have a technology team, we have a project management team. Uh, those folks work all uh, together in different ways. And then of course we have some partners who are either consultants and such who work with us on a basis uh, if for specialized projects or when capacity demands it. And so, you know, the glue that over the years that I've really grown to appreciate is having really exceptional project and client management and sort of client engagement. Um, when you start an agency and you're smaller, right, I started constructive in my living room by myself. So even when you were five, six, seven people, you can the practitioners can manage the work to some degree and you may not have project managers and when you get to a certain size you realize how important it is to focus on resourcing and looking at people's utilization and understanding how much they can handle at once and forecasting that and actually making decisions about what work you will take on or will decline to participate, say, in an RFP because you don't think you'll be able to do your best work. So we're constantly you know, we have a weekly resource meeting. We have people from the directors of every team are there. We talk through what we're doing. We forecast what might be coming in. Um, and we just are mindful of not just what a person can handle at any given time, uh, but also what projects really get different members of our team particularly excited. And we try to think about, we would really love this person on there because we think the client will love working with them. So yeah. It's a big, that's just a big part of growing as an agency and getting mature over that, which we've done over the years. Yeah. Why is engagement such a, a mission and a vision for you? Why is that so important to your core? Well, if I, I could pull up the document and read it, but we thought this was part of our strategic planning uh, work a couple of years ago. And we actually have our annual retreat coming up next week. Um, mm -hmm. And so 
the idea of engagement is what we did is engagement first of all means caring when we talk about engagement we're not talking about this crap social media fluff engagement right i get that that's right, an above right. for that industry. we're really not uh -huh. talking about that what we're saying right is first of all that as individuals and practitioners at constructive it's incumbent upon us to be deeply engaged in our work and deeply engaged with our clients um, it's kind of like, you know, sports athletes have it, artists have it, et cetera, being in flow. When you're really engaged, you're in flow. When you have the right amount of mental energy, the right balance of challenge and things you also know how to do intuitively, you're engaged. And that allows you to do your best work. Client engagement, right? I think I just mentioned it uh, a minute or two ago. That's just our our clients are so deeply invested in the issues in which they focus and we learn from them as experts right they're experts it's a treat for us to work with folks who are experts in issues I call it we get to get paid to take an ongoing course called how the world works from people who are really focused on complex stuff and so we have to be engaged with them. And so it starts there, but then you can spread this out and talk about the work we design is inherently about engaging people with the brand. It's about an exchange of value between, you know, a brand is about bringing together an organization and an audience. That brand is a, an exchange of value that, ever, that both sides benefit from. And so yeah. really good engagement matters there. And it spirals out to effectively look at what it means when society is engaged, when people are engaged, what is possible. So we really try to look at it from as small as the individual practitioner, all the way up to what does a really great functioning democracy that is mindful of people on the planet look like when people are engaged. And that's what we hope our work will help our clients do well. Yeah. I mean, you just lit up talking about that, but you're on fire. <laughs> you tell you're very passionate about that. I mean, it's incredible. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, what I mean, what is the best part to you about what you do? I mean, I know there's a lot of moving pieces, but to to the essence of it, what what is the best part of doing what you do? Now, do you mean me individually or do you mean us as a company? You individually, Matt. The best part of what I do is that I get to work with some really incredible people, both inside constructive and outside of it, um, who are smart, thoughtful, values-driven, uh, mm. want to do interesting things, are visionary, are committed. Um, there, there's so many facets to it. You know, when I started the agency, Laura, I don't think I, in fact, I know, I would not have realized that my people's happiness and setting them up for success would be the greatest reward that I could get. Um, and so for me, there's a small bit of great satisfaction knowing that I have something to do with the fact that all of the people at Constructive are there and that actually increasingly I can step away and let them do their thing and be there for them when they need me and focus on my responsibilities to make constructive great for us, great for our clients. So, you know, what I say is when I stopped doing hands-on design, I still look at work with the team. I still offer my suggestions on different things with the directors, but I'm not hands-on. And my design job now is to design constructive. Mm 
Um, and so I just, it's, we just, we have, it's so great when you have really awesome people. And I have to tell you, I've seen it when it's not so great. I've lived it as an owner and our leadership team, our directors are so phenomenal. I consider myself and I consider our other people so lucky that we have them um, and they love working together. And so this idea that I get to create an environment and co-create with them something where they just love what they're doing and enjoy yeah. the challenge and get better every time. And if they don't stay with constructive forever and almost nobody will, that they leave constructive just so much better off than they were when they got here. Like to me, that's the biggest reward I can ever ask for. And so that's what I'm focused on. And that's the best part of what I do. Yeah. Oh, how special. I mean, it's always it's always about the people. I mean, it really makes a place, makes or breaks a place. And I mean, they, on uh, that company, note, oh, go ahead. Mm -hmm. I say company, a friend of mine uh, said something once that I really liked. And he said, company is community. Oh, yeah. That's that's the title of the episode right there. <laughs> that's how I feel about, you know, about us. And I, I'm really, I love that. It's, it's really special. Oh, I love it. And I just, I feel so fortunate and it really is a gift for me. And I know mm -hmm. I put a lot into making it happen, um, but it doesn't happen. Yeah. But for the people who show up every day to make it happen. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, and on that note, to really take it home, what is your definition of a real leader? Oof. Well, Howie uh, has a lot of definitions, so I'm I'm not going to try. I've not thought about this in a way that I have some singular uh, answer or description. I think it's too multifaceted. Yeah, there's not one answer. <laughs> no, and and so I'll just maybe riff on some of the things that have been important to me and that I've realized maybe in my own uh, uh, time as I've grown as a leader. And the first is to say that, you know, this idea of servant leadership, there's a book by Simon Sinek that I like a lot called Leaders Eat Last. You and a lot of others may be very familiar with it. Um, and, I, and I really do try to take that to heart. And so for me, a true leader is somebody, first of all, who always puts the interests of the whole ahead of their own um, and often puts the interest of another individual ahead of their own um, and or at least makes sure that they fully understand and are listening and are attuned to what's going on for the people that they have to lead. Um, it's just critical um, to, to listen, to uh, be willing to be challenged, to be willing to have your opinion changed, uh, all of those kinds of things, right? So yeah. putting the good of the organization and the individuals in it ahead of your own preconceived notions nine times out of 10, you're probably going to wind up in a good place if you do that. That having been said, I've probably got a well-worn reputation as somebody with pretty strong opinions. Um, and maybe I do a lot better job now than I used to of bringing those to the table and bringing those to the group, uh, whether that's with clients or with the people who work at Constructive, um, or maybe even uh, with my wife, Tanya, and my friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But, um, you know, I do think one of one of our uh, uh, core values is to lead with perspective. I might I might have changed it to lead with courage, but to lead with perspective. I just think that being a leader, it's really important uh, to have a strong sense of what are good ideas to explore even if you're not absolutely saying this is what we must do. And I think a really good leader realizes when it's time to say, I want you to do it just this way, want to do what I'm saying. And the reason is, is that you're always balancing that 90% of servant leadership mindset and thinking yeah. about everyone else's contributions. But sometimes you do need to realize you may know best. You do have, in some ways, the most experience in certain aspects. So as long as you've kept your eyes, ears, and mind open, then you can lead with strong perspective. Um, and I think the other one, for me anyway, there are probably two things. One is just empathy. I mm. think I'm a, a, I, I think I'm what some people would call an empathetic leader. And I like to show up and bring energy to the room. And I like to try to lift folks up and I'm, you know, try to bring humor and stuff to the situation, even while we're being serious. Um, and so I think having empathy and, and being able to relate to people, as you said before, it always comes back to people. Like, I think when I was younger, I would not have understood as well how to uh, flex uh, and role with what is going on with people and understanding their individual situation. Um, and I think that comes to cultivating trust and really trusting people. The more you give trust, um, the more you can easily have empathy because you trust the person to always have good motives and do the right thing. So I think that's a big part. And then the last part, which is something that I've learned a lot from my people who are better than I am at this and probably will always be, and that is having a plan or structure. So empathy and hustle and vision, right? I'm kind of in the traction model of organizational development. I'm that visionary leader type that has like 20 mm -hmm. ideas on any given day, and you should probably yeah. have 18 of them. <laughs> well, that integrator role that's in traction for people who know the book, um, that you need implementation and, you know, a great vision is nothing without a good strategy and then a plan to execute it. And I have just learned to really not just appreciate, but thank my lucky stars that I have folks who can A, a kind of take on the torrent of ideas and vision or excitement to do great things as a company and break it down or push back. And so I think great leaders have to either do that natively or really know how to leverage people who do know how to do it and, yeah. and play by their rules so that the plan gets executed as designed. I mean, beautiful. Matt. Thank you so much. I mean, I think our listeners are going to walk away with just new lessons in compassion, empathetic leadership, um, and really having that team-minded community uh, mentality uh, in their business, whether it's their own personal business and people that they work for themselves and bringing that into, into their own lives. So I can't thank you enough. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this, including myself. It was an honor to talk to you today. Oh, I hope so. Thanks, Laura. 100%. Well, thank you. And for Real Leaders Magazine, I am Laura McKinney signing off as your host, and we will catch you next time. Make sure to stay real, my friends. 
Hey, real leaders, thank you again for taking your valuable time to listen today. If you just can't get enough, make sure to check out our magazine. And if you go online to realleaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you'll be able to access all of our magazines, courses, and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to real-leaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. That's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and as always, keep it real.